We meet today in Ephesians chapter 6, particularly verse 1 to verse 9. Now in this chapter, the church is a soldier, and we are looking at the soldier's relationships. In the preceding chapter, the church was designated the bride of Christ. Now in this chapter, it is to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In the future, the church is to be presented as the bride of Christ. This is the expectation of the church. Today is the period of the engagement and exhibition of the church before the world. The first part of the chapter here opens with instructions to children, parents, servants, and masters. This may seem foreign to the life of a soldier. However, let it be known that a soldier's training does not start out in the military camp. It begins when the child is still in the home. In the military, actually severe problems are faced in training of young men who must be trained in the simple things that should have been learned at home. At 17, a young man ought to be ready to launch into training program. The defense force finds that they can easily put a uniform on the man, but putting a man into the uniform is such a big problem. This same type of breakdown is attested even by foreign mission boards. A survey reveals that very small percentage of students graduating from Bible colleges and schools go into foreign missions, and a startling number of them actually return after the first term as casualties. Training is essentially if the soldier is to fight properly and be victorious over the enemy. The preparation of a soldier must begin in the home when he is a child, not in the church or in the Sunday school, but in the home. So let's talk about the relationships of the soldier. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The word of God says this is right. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1. The first lesson that a soldier must learn is obedience to those in authority. He must follow orders. This basic training is learned in the home. After the soldier has learned to obey, then he is in a position to be promoted to the rank of an officer where he gives commands to other people. To know how to give orders depends largely on how the soldier learned to obey. This basic training is found in the home with the parent-child relationships and then with the master-servant relationship. The victories of the Christian life are won in the home and in the place of business. You will remember that it is said of the Lord Jesus that as a boy, he went down to Nazareth and he was subject to Joseph and Mary. There are two essential factors which must be taken into account in this verse and in this section. The first one, it is assumed that Paul is talking about a Christian home, a home such as he had been discussing in chapter 5 regarding the marriage relationship. Obedience of children to parents is confined to the circumference of in the Lord. Christian parents have the privilege of claiming their children for the Lord. And I think we all should do that. Even where only one parent is a believer, 
that parent may claim his child for God. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 14 For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. This of course does not mean that the child is a believer, just because he has a Christian parent. No, it does mean that the parent has a right to claim that child. Notice that it says, Obey your parents in the Lord. Now, I have great sympathy for a boy who accepts the Lord and has an unsaved father or mother. I experienced that in my own life. I had great difficulty in putting it in a humble way to my father that I would not indulge myself in things that were outrightly sinful. Now, there may be times when a child of God must obey God rather than men. I had to deal with some of those issues. Then, secondly, the word for obey here is different from the word found in verse 22 of chapter 5. The wife is to submit. The wife occupies a place of equality with the husband, and submission is merely a question of headship. Here the child is to obey as the servant is to obey, the same word used in verse 5. Disobedience to parents is the last and lowest form of lawliness to occur on the earth. Paul wrote to Timothy, saying, For men, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, ungodly. You see, disobedience to parents is one of the characteristics of the last days. Today we hear of many cases of children refusing and rejecting parental authority and even killing their own parents. This is indicative of the times in which we now live. Of course, there will come a time in a boy's life when he begins to rebel against his parents because it is time for him to move out and get married and start a home of his own. God has given him a nature that rebels against being a mama's boy, tied to his mama's apron strings for the rest of his life. God wants him now to stand on his own two feet. This kind of rebellion, this struggle for independence is different from disobedience. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 2 to verse 3. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. We have learned that the Ten Commandments are not the norm for Christian living, but that does not mean you can break them. A youngster in the home is to honor the father and the mother, and as we grow older, we are to continue to honor them by the life that we live. Now, it is very interesting that all the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament except the commandment concerning the Sabbath. Honoring your father and mother carries with it a promise of long life to those who keep it. That is what we see in Exodus chapter 20 verse 12. And that promise is repeated here. It is the first commandment with a promise. The other commandments promised something if they were not kept. But they didn't promise anything 
if they were kept. Samson and Absalom are two examples in scripture of boys who did not follow this commandment and their lives were short. Samson, a judge, died when he was a young man. Absalom rebelled against his father David and he was killed when he was a young man. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Training means discipline and admonition means instruction. In other words, the command is bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. No such commandment was given to parents under the law. Under grace, there are always mutual responsibilities and interactive duties. The parent is not to vent a bad disposition on a child or punish him in a fit of rage. It is the parent's duty to teach the child the truth of the scriptures and then to leave them before the child. Don't provoke your children to wrath. As a believer, you are to live at home like a believer. The word fathers include the mothers also. However, the emphasis, I think, is on the fathers because the disciplining and the training of the child is actually the father's responsibility. But it does include the mother also. Children are not to be provoked to anger. The writer of Proverbs had a great deal to say about this. Proverbs 13 verse 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. Proverbs 19 verse 18. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 22 verse 15. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs 23 verse 13 to 14. The rod and rebuke give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Correct your son, and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Proverbs 29, verse 15 and verse 17. All these proverbs just point to the value of discipline and loving correction of a parent. My friend, the little ones who simply will not obey need to be spanked. They need a rod. But a child should never be whipped while the parent is angry. This is stated very clearly. We are never to provoke our children to wrath, which will happen if they see that we are simply venting a mean disposition on them. They should be disciplined. In Proverbs 23, we are told that when we spank our children, they won't die. Correct your son and he shall give you rest. He will delight your soul. A child in a Christian home should be given Christian instructions so that he might come to a vital relationship with Christ and be fortified when he comes in contact with the vicious world. Bring them up in the training or in the discipline of the Lord. Notice again that the discipline is to be of the Lord. 
the discipline and instruction are to be administered in the name of the Lord. That is important, my friend. Paul has taken the subject of submission first into the home with the husband and wife, then with the parent and child. Now he moves out of the home into the streets, the workshop, the mats of trade. It is a different situation there. For there are no bonds of love such as are found in a home. Yet children of God are filled with the Holy Spirit. They will be submissive one to another. Here is Ephesians 6 verse 5 to verse 8. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service, as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Now, bond servants literally means slaves here. They are to be obedient to the masters according to the flesh, meaning that the masters are down here on earth. Servants are not to serve with eye service, with one eye on the clock or working only when the boss is looking. They are not to serve as men pleasers. In other words, they are not to butter up their boss. Service is to be done as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the soul. Now, there is a responsibility put upon a believer who is an employee and also a responsibility put upon one who is an employer. This is the employer-employee relationship. In Paul's day, it was an even sharper division than we see now. It was really master and slave. Remembering that this entire section began in chapter 5, verse 21, which says, Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. It puts it into perspective. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. Notice the word of God says, be obedient. This reveals that Christianity did not instigate revolution against the evil practice of slavery. It preached a gospel which was more revolutionary than revolution has ever been, actually. Revolution has always had bad side effects, leaving bitterness and hatred, which has lasted through the centuries. The gospel of Christ will break down the middle war of partition, which in our day is prejudice and discrimination of one race against another. You see, the gospel will replace that prejudice and discrimination with real brotherly love. When a professing Christian is disloyal in these areas of his life, the chances are he will also be disloyal to Christ. He certainly has no effective witness for Christ. Bond servants, be obedient to your masters according to the flesh. This makes it clear that slavery applied only to the bodies of men and not to their souls. This obedience was to be with fear and trembling. This does not mean abject and base crippling before a master, but it does mean treating the master with respect and dignity. 
insincerity of heart means there should not be any taint of duplicity. There should be no two facedness. There should not be the licking of the boots of the employer when he is around and then stabbing him in the back when he is away. Such action should never be in the life of a Christian. The servant's obedience is to be done as to Christ. This shows that the slave has been lifted from the best position of degradation where he sullenly worked as little as possible and only when his master was watching. Now he is the slave of Christ and Christ has made him free. He is to look above the heavenly master in his attempt to please his master in heaven. An earthly master could control only the bodies of the slaves. The slaves of Christ have yielded their souls to him, even their total personalities. Remember that Paul called himself the bond servant of Jesus Christ. So what he talked about, he knew it. With goodwill doing service. This statement shows that their attitude should reflect their Christian service. When a child of God, whether slave or a master, employer or employee, when they get to the place where the motive of his life is to please Christ, then the problems between employees and employers are overcome. In our day, there is a new kind of slavery, and it is sweeping over the nations of the world. There is a slavery that is not only of the body, but of the mind. Multitudes and thousands upon thousands are willing to make any sacrifice today to global ideas that say human social development will make the world a better place. My friend, what can break men's shackles? It is only the power of the gospel of Christ. He will make you free. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. It is Christ who offers freedom. Think of the thousands today who are trapped by drugs and alcohol. Think of many who even do not know what to do with the accumulations of weapons of destruction. There is slavery on every side. Think of those who can't even get out of immoral practices, corruption upon the nations. Slavery on every side of us. We should be slaves of Christ and to no one on nothing else. So of Tarsus was a slave to an ideology. He was a Pharisee. When he came to Christ, he was made free. However, immediately he yielded to a new master and said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Acts 9 verse 6. He had become a bond servant of Jesus Christ. The Lord has lifted the employee to a higher position. He has dignified the employee. It doesn't make any difference whether a man is working at a bench or digging a ditch or working in an office or mining down in the bowels of the earth or farming the land on the top of the earth. If he is a child of God, he can say, I serve Christ. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 9 And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Something is also said to the masters here. If you are an employer, 
before Christ, you are just another man. God is no respecter of persons. What he has said to the employee also applies to you. You come under the same category since you also have a master, and your master is Christ. Masters are not to take advantage of their positions as masters. They are not to abuse their power. They are not to threaten. In the presence of Christ, the master and the servant stand on the same footing. They are brothers in Christ. We find a very practical demonstration of this in the epistle to Philemon. Philemon was a master who had a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus ran away from his master, and according to the law of that day, his master could have him put to death. However, after Onesimus trusted Christ, Paul sent him back to his master with the letter to Philemon. This is what Paul wrote. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Philemon 15 and 16. You see, when both employer and employee are believers, they are brothers. That is the wonderful goal, my friend. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs, so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for, and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.